supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk with you about the world of the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night at this time. And uh, hey, how are you doing? It's it's officially Halloween month now. I mean, we get excited for the Halloween season. Oh, I don't know, probably around mid-July, early August. That's when we start getting in gear. But you know, for the rest of you, it's officially Halloween season. It's it's now the time of year when you know the normal folk, quote unquote, want to talk about this stuff. Matt Moniz, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, how, are you still like a kid at Christmas? You know, are you a, a kid at Halloween kind of thing? Being in the paranormal field for so long, yeah, definitely. Do you feel like uh, you know you want to get out and try to investigate more, or you want to? I mean, because you know that you can discuss what you've done uh, with people a lot more openly during this time of year. Um, True. But do you feel like you know? Because I we we did the Fearing Tavern a couple weeks ago, and, and it's starting to spread through town. You know that <laughs> yeah. we've done it, and like I've heard from people, that, yeah, you went in there, and, and everybody wants to come up and start talking about their their ghost stories or their UFO encounters. Um, and it's almost like, you know, at Christmas you see Santa in the mall. You you tell him what you want for Christmas. At Halloween you see Matt Moniz walking around town. You tell him about your paranormal experience. <laughs> well, we are here to talk with you tonight about a variety of different things going on. Uh, in the first hour, we're going to talk with Steve Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group about the Million Facts March on Washington. We're going to get everybody out there to to take part in this campaign and and help. Uh, get this campaign going, and we're gonna we're gonna talk with Steve about what it's all about in just a few minutes, and then later on, we'll be joined by Elizabeth Russell of a new venture here in Massachusetts that's known as the Bay State Paranormal Center. It's going to be the first store that I know of around here, you know, store you know, building store that's actually going to be a paranormal resource uh, where people can go and ha- experience lectures and, and different classes and. There'll be books and all kinds of things going on. We're going to talk to her about what's going on with that and some upcoming events, including one next Saturday night with our old friend Christopher Balzano. And then he'll be here next week as well, so uh, you don't want to miss that show. And then we'll also talk about the Mass Monster Mash and the Mass UFO Show, which are both coming up uh, the weekend of the 17th and the 18th. And we'll talk about the lineup for that, of which Matt Moniz is a part. We'll talk about some of the guests that are coming up for this, and it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of people that you've heard on this show so uh it's definitely something to check out we'll talk about all that in the second hour but for now let's go right to the phones with steve bassett he's arguably the leading advocate in the nation for extending the 61 i'm sorry for ending the 61 year government imposed truth embargo regarding an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race he's a political activist lobbyist commentator and columnist and the founder of the paradigm research group the executive director of the extraterrestrial phenomena political action committee or the XPAC the creator of the Paradigm Clock and the executive producer of the X-Conference. His work has been covered internationally since 1996. Bassett has assisted numerous organizations and initiatives working to raise public awareness, convene open congressional hearings to take government witness testimony, and end the truth embargo. He's appeared on hundreds of radio and television talk shows and in numerous documentaries speaking to millions of people about the implications and likelihood of disclosure, the formal acknowledgement of the extraterrestrial presence 
by world governments. How are you tonight, Steve? I'm just great. And uh, how much closer are we to disclosure from the last time we talked to you? <laughs> we're uh, not really we're, quantifiable, or we're close. Okay, we've been close for some time. And this new million facts march is definitely going to help uh, forward that progress, I believe. No march. No march. Just, just facts. Just million facts. Yeah. Okay. It used to be, you know, I don't know how far back you go, but uh, the definitive event for any kind of activism was you had to get a lot of people to Washington. Million Mom March, Million Man March, and you had your march on Washington in 71, 70, 1970. You had the Curse the King Civil Rights Marches in the, in the early 60s. Um, but let me tell you, uh, back then gas was 40, bucks, 40 cents a gallon. Now it's <laughs> three forty, And uh, it costs a lot of money to bring people to D.C. To, to make a statement, about five bucks a person. Wow. If you want a million people in Washington, you better be ready to spend $5 million. Those, those days are gone. You're just not going to see much of that anymore. It's it's all about the Internet. It's about cyberspace, Internet, and communications, using all those goodies and tools that have been provided to us. And they work uh, if you use them properly. To If you want to get a point across to your fine elected representatives. So this is about that, and, and it's a big deal. I mean, I, I think this is the most important uh, project that I've done in the 12 years I've been in the field. I entered 96, five years after the end of the Cold War, Witnesses, witnesses were starting to emerge uh, from inside government, speaking to the issue, uh, Phil Corso being one of the more prominent ones at that time. And the reason was because the Cold War was over and the threat of nuclear war was abated, and uh, people felt, hey, it's okay to talk about this now. So the, the witnesses coming forward really started to advance the issue uh, in a more political way and raise the prospects for the government finally acknowledging this, this ET presence in any embargo. I thought it would happen pretty quickly, but it didn't. It's 12 years now, mm. and it still hasn't happened, but boy, is it ripe. So we've got a kind of a, a, a confluence of circumstances which has created, a, well, I think, the best opportunity for the people to step in and end this issue once and for all, resolve it. And that's what the million facts is about. Uh, we've got the press following this issue more than ever. I've got over 800 articles archived at the PRG website from mainstream news articles on the subject just this year. We've got a new administration coming in, probably Democratic, though perhaps not. We've got pressure coming on the U.S. from other countries who are giving signs that they may move unilaterally to announce the ET presence ahead of us. And we have indications that people within uh, the inside of the government uh, 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 maybe a consensus, perhaps, uh, towards disclosure is developing, but still not easy to do. Right. So what we need to do is to, is to close the deal, and uh, that's what uh, this effort is about. It's straightforward enough. Look, we launched it on October the 1st with an international press release. There have been several other press releases that have been put out. We launched a Facebook group page called Million Facts on Washington. Uh, I booked about 26 interviews. I expect to do about 100 between now and the end of the year. We've uh, sent out banner links to hundreds of websites, and uh, it's moving pretty quickly, given it's only the third day. We're going to put the message out that in the month of October, everybody who would like to see the, the ET issue resolved and for disclosure to take place, to compose a letter, brief note, to send to the president-elect on November the 5th. 
they got 30-some days to, to take 15 minutes of their time, slap a 42-cent stamp on it, and wait for the the address, right? <laughs> Who are they going to send it to? Is it going to be McCain or Obama? Mm-hmm. And uh, we we hope that we can front load quite a few uh, letters and faxes into the the president-elect uh, office, which is of course the senatorial office. They're both senators and will remain so until the end of the year, um, which will create quite a media event. And ultimately, the goal is a million letters, faxes, and emails in that 77 days between the uh, the, the day after the election and the inauguration on January 20. Simple idea, very straightforward. But we need people to step up to the plate, uh, and uh, I think they will. Uh, I'm getting a very strong response to this. Well, I mean, I, I can just tell you, you know, when you see all these internet campaigns that are launched for if a television show gets canceled, yeah, or if you know uh, a soap opera character dies, and you know, there's all these. The, the internet is a great way to bring together people that have these similar interests and to get them to do this and. You know, it's no different than if you're going to sit down and write an email, you know, and you can write an email. Yeah. It's no, it takes about as much time as it takes you to, in, you know, inform your neighbor of, you know, what you did last week. It, it's not, you know, time consuming. You don't have to do a lot of research. All you have to do is write the letter and ask. Right. So, so people are adapting to this. There's plenty of petitions on the internet and there's plenty of communication and networking. And of course, Facebook's got a hundred million active people. So that's all fine. But, if you're going to actually try to change a government policy, that requires uh, some some uh, focus and uh, some specific uh, uh, targeting. Mm. It just can't throw a petition up on the web and expect anything. It's not going to work. So what we want are letters. Now, I call it the million facts on Washington because it's, it sounds good. Million March on Washington, million facts on Washington. But it's mostly letters because faxes, there's only so many faxes a machine can receive. For about 400 a day is the limit. Mm-hmm. And they may set up a couple of machines in, you know, on rotating lines, but uh, still, uh, it's, it's going to be limited. But you know, faxes will come in, but it's primarily letters. The letter is the most powerful thing you can send to an elected official. It's the second most powerful is fax. And emails are better than nothing. The most powerful thing you can do is write it yourself. Scripted, uh, uh, mass-produced scripted uh, campaigns are not nearly as effective. They discard them. They discount them. Why? Because they're too easy to mass manufacture. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, and, and, and it doesn't have to be a long letter. Just a note, a couple of paragraphs. Something that says, look, I want you to do this, and if you don't, I'm going to be very upset. Believe me, it gets their attention. So letters are the strongest thing you can do. Now, Someone wants to send a letter and try to get a fax in and send an email, no problem. But if they're only going to do one, it needs to be a letter. Now, what's very cool about this, I love this, is that when a new uh, president gets elected, people send a lot of, they do send a lot of mail into the, the new president's office. Uh, and a lot of it has money in it. Really? Because people are uh, donating to the campaign, you know, pay off the debts, mm-hmm. giving money to the party. So any letter that comes up, I guarantee you, gets opened and checked. All letters open, all letters checked. So when you send letters in, they get seen. Uh, and that's cool. That's very cool. So we want to get the letters in, and we want to front-load it as much as possible. So the game plan is get your note put together and ready to go, and on November the 5th, address it to whoever wins that election. And, of course, 
all of this information is provided. How to handle this is all provided on a very basic web page called factsonwashington.org. It's all clear. You can see just what to do. And there are three key points that we encourage people to try to get in their note. Uh, one is that the president-elect, the new president, will demand, not request, but demand a full hearing from their military and intelligence people. And if they're told they don't have a need to know, then they fire the person that says that and put somebody else in their place and ask them if they will provide the information. Secondly, that they will, uh, that the new president will call for hearings, push the Congress to call for hearings for the witnesses that have been emerging to testify, and then, of course, the new president will disclose the ET presence to the American people and whatever else they want to put in. All right? Pretty straightforward, pretty basic. The target would be the senatorial office. Both candidates will, of course, remain senators through the end of the year, and then the president-elect will still be a senator and will, of course, have a senatorial office. That's the target for this mail, fax, and and uh, email. Eventually, later in the month, there will be a transitional office that will open for the president, and then we'll start targeting that. We need as many letters as possible to come in in those first few weeks of November, in other words, front load. Our goal is a, a million letters, faxes, and emails over the the total 77 days uh, of the transition. But we've got to front-load it as much as possible in order to create the media event. So we don't want people to send anything now. We certainly don't want them to send it to the White House. That's not where we want it. We want to wait and send it to the president-elect on November the 5th. And I'm going to do my job in Washington to make sure the media knows that this onslaught is coming. So they'll be looking for it anticipating pictures of giant bags of mail sitting in the senator office, senatorial office of the newly elected president. And then as those things get opened, the press will want to see some of them, and then the letters will turn up in the press. I think you see where I'm going here. Sure, yeah. Pretty basic, not complicated. Um, I'm even going to send, I'm even going to publish to the Internet open letters to both candidates leading into the election, letting them know that this is coming, right? Um, and also letting them know that once these letters come in, that uh, and they're finished with them, they're, they've done whatever they're going to do with them, that not to throw them away, not, don't discard them. The PRG will, will, on its own dime, come and get them and save them, archive them, because this is important historical stuff here, and it would be a shame for them to be discarded. So I'm going to do my best to to encourage them to uh, provide them to PRG, unless they have some other archive concept they want, which is fine. But So we hopefully we'll see these letters, or a bunch of them, and, and we'll be able to, to publish a, a lot of them or, or put them on the net so people can kind of see what's been sent in here. Um, so you can see this is a very organized campaign. It's not trivial, and it's going to be heavily publicized, I can assure you, so that more than many, many millions of people will know about this before November the 5th. Guarantee that. Now the question is, will the people step up to the plate? The reason they need to do this is because right now, because of the circumstances that are out there, a confluence of circumstances, a new president, a new administration, pressure from foreign countries, and a sentiment developing inside government to end this embargo once and for all, if the American people step up and we can get a decent number to contact the president-elect, I believe we will trigger disclosure in the spring of next year. Wow. And you can see that's a big deal. 
uh, talk about you know changing history, right? With a letter, uh, not one. Your friends and neighbors have got to join you. We know that one letter to make a difference, but if if you trust your fellow citizens to to, to participate, your letter is going to make a difference. So uh, this is maybe the, uh, uh, the the that critical moment, you know, that milestone moment when we're about to make a change. We're about to to, to take a step here that will change the world. I believe in very important and positive ways. Everybody who has ever had a sighting, which according to the polls is approximately 50 million adult Americans, should be writing a letter to the president-elect. Everyone who has thinks they've had contact with an extraterrestrial, which according to the polls, believe it or not, is around 50 million American adults. I'm not making this up. Wow. Yeah. right? Who thinks they've had a contact with one of these beings should be writing a letter to the president. Uh, Everyone who thinks the government's lying about this issue, which is about 85% or about 170, uh, I'm sorry, approximately 220 adult Americans, should be writing a letter to the president. And here's the kicker. This is the big one here. Anyone who is deeply concerned that we don't have the necessary tools to deal with all the catastrophes which are being presented to us, as, 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 as heading our way in the 21st century, you, you've heard them all. Financial collapse, melting icebergs, holes in the ozone, um, uh, wars for, over water, uh, wars over food, uh, you know, worldwide terrorism from disaffected political groups, you name it. We've been hit with this stuff now for years. If you don't think that we really have unnecessary tools to really actually deal with this stuff, need to be writing a letter to the president. Why? Because... We have pretty good reason to believe that behind that truth embargo, down inside the underground facilities and laboratories being operated under black budget programs, in, mostly in the western United States, is our research being done on crashed vehicles of extraterrestrial origin, uh, maybe some that were even shot down, and that they have made substantial progress in understanding and even emulating how that technology works. And there are two parts of that that we're most interested in. One is the propulsion, anti-gravitic drive of sorts, and the other is the energy, which is apparently extraordinarily efficient in terms of weight to output. That is unavailable to us, as we know. Mm-hmm. I don't see any anti-gravitic drive craft flying around with passengers on them. Uh, and we're still paying uh, 100 bucks a barrel for oil and 350 for gas. So it ain't available to us. It's only available to the research inside and to possibly weapons research. And that's no longer acceptable. So if you want that technology available to, so that we can, uh, to the human race, not just American, but human race, to help us deal with the issues we're facing, you need to write a letter to the president alone. I mean, for everybody that's complaining about gas reaching near prices of five dollars a gallon, uh, you right. know, a few months back, all you got to do is invest forty-two cents to try to make a change toward that. And you know, it's it's it's, I think it's forty-two cents, right, for a stamp now. I believe. I don't. I don't. You really use regular mail. I use email most of the time. But you're right. Yeah. Nothing does have that impact like a, an actual physical letter. I mean, I get emails every day from people, mm-hmm. but it's still doesn't feel as important to me as when I open up the mailbox and there's written correspondence. You know how long it takes me to, eat, to, to delete five, 6,000 emails? 
How long? About five seconds. Yep. You know how long? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know how long it takes to deal with twenty thousand letters? Well, you got to open them, see what they're all about. You got to open yeah. them. You got to check them out. You got to look for the money, and then you got to respond because if you don't, you really irritate people. Uh, so it's a it's a wholly different world. Now, now I'm not knocking email. You understand? But let, mm-hmm. let, let's just say that that's just the facts of life in. Uh, in this town, in Washington, D.C., you want to get the attention of the government, you have to send a letter. If it doesn't have to be long, you don't have to send them some 20-page thing, believe me. It's just two paragraphs with, a, this is what I want you to do. If you don't do it, you're going you're gonna to regret it. That's what, that, that gets their attention. If it's signed with an with a address and a, a phone number, even more powerful. If it's handwritten as opposed to typed or done on a computer, even more powerful. So it, it doesn't take much to get their attention if they believe that these are coming in from from individual citizens on their own initiative, which is why they can't be scripted, right? This tells them, because they know there's an equation they use. And I forget the uh, the ratio, but this for argument's sake, for every letter like that that comes in, they assume it represents the sentiments of something like 15, 20 people, right, who feel the same way, but they, they wouldn't bother to write a letter. Mm-hmm. So they, they multiply it, and they know, they know what they're dealing with. Now, it's been 61 years that this, this uh, embargo has been in place where we have been told that there is nothing to see here, nothing to, be, nothing to be worried about and nothing going on, when, in fact, of course, we know differently. And that's eroded the, uh, the credibility of government and, and, and helped contribute to the unbelievably low trust ratings that are now, I think, according to the Pew Trust, as a, a Pew uh, Research, rather, I think 26%. One, one, one group studying the credi- government credibility for this year has it at 22%. These are unbelievably low ratings, and it's the reason why nothing can get done in Washington, because nobody believes the damn thing they do or say. This is, this is why America is heading towards second world status. And that 22% is probably people that work for that government. Who knows? You yeah. know, they're, they're on the payroll. On the, exactly. Let me just say, it's very low, and it's, and, it's, and it's dangerously low. It has got to change. Well, it's not going to change. One of the things that's driving that is that when, when, if the government's telling you something is not true, when you see the, 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 this, this phenomenon all over the place, it's a constant credibility eroder. And it's been eating away at government uh, credibility for years. And it's going to end. Worse, you know, another nation may end up disclosing. China, France, which makes, us, makes our government look even stupider. Uh, I mean, we're going to have to kind of come up Laughter. We go. Okay, you know, France has, you know, told you what happened. Well, I guess we'll have to. We look really gross. So, so we're on the way to being irrelevant in this world if we don't get our act together pretty soon. Well, this would be a good start. Uh, it's, you know, you could send a million letters to Washington about the economy. Look, I want a better economy. But it's not focused. You ha- and if you want to get change, you have to have a very specific target, and, you, and it has to be powerful. We have that here. We're saying we want be told the truth about this ET presence. Boy, that's about as specific as it gets. That kind of a letter, if they come in large numbers, really has power. And it's not like there isn't a precedent for this happening before. It has happened in the past. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Mailing campaigns on certain issues have certainly uh, affected the government, but I don't think I've ever seen one that has the power to, to change a policy of this magnitude uh, so quickly uh, is this one. It's it's really and, and the implications of the policy change are probably greater than any issue that I can recall uh, in history. Uh, this is a rare, rare opportunity 
for the people to exert an, Im, an imprint on history at, at an extraordinary level. And they, they really would be a shame if they don't take advantage of it and make their statements known. Now, let me, let, me, let me go further. I've said this before publicly. I keep saying it. I believe that the Democratic Party, I don't know, I don't have really a handle on what the Republican Party is thinking, but I believe the Democratic Party is already planning and leaning towards disclosure in the spring of next year. Uh, this is not being talked about by the by their operatives and, the, you know, and their advisors and the people pundits, but I'm talking about at the think tank level. The, the, you know, the geniuses behind the scenes that that plan what the hell they're going to do because they do have to actually do something if they get elected. So I believe they've already uh, they're planning it, but things happen and and uh, feet turn to clay in D.C. easily and quickly. Something gets blown up. Somebody invades somebody else. Whatever. And, and, and insiders are going, well, we can't do it now. We better, better hold on. Uh, that's what I'm worried about. And so the facts on Washington is designed to ensure that that doesn't happen, that they, that they go ahead in the spring and end this embargo. If the Democrats win, it'll be a lot easier on, for several reasons, one being that since they're a new administration, new party, they're able to come in and, and say, well, the previous administration – led by the previous party, didn't tell you about this, but we were going to. And so they, 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 they get a substantial upside from that and not so much downside. If a Republic, if McCain wins, it's a little harder because he's a Republic, he's coming in, and if he does it, he's got to sort of say, well, you know, my party didn't tell you about it during the last administration, but I'm going to. A little harder, but still doable. But the Dems, on the other hand, have a great opportunity, and I think they're going to seize it. It's also helpful that Barack Obama is an innocent on this issue. He, he doesn't know anything about this issue, though. He and he, and he dismisses it when it's brought up. What now? He, he tends to dismiss it, too, when it's brought up. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know anything about it. He's a smart man, though. I'm, I'm sure he, he may be suspicious, but he, he's not said anything about it, and he, there's no basis to believe that he has any inside position on it. And so if he, is, if he signs off on a disclosure event, he really can't be assailed for, quote, not having said anything prior. He, he didn't know. Mm-hmm. So again, there's not much downside for him, but a great deal of upside. Right? Uh, McCain, McCain has been around, and he's got plenty of military and intelligence contacts. So it may be that McCain might have to explain that, uh, well, he might have known sooner, didn't say anything. However, McCain is a pretty tough guy, and I, I think he's more than capable of standing up to uh, criticism, and he's capable of standing up to opposition within the military intelligence community. So. I, I in no way rule out disclosure if the, if the Republicans win. Well, there's also two things uh, working in favor of disclosure coming from the McCain camp, too. Is One, he's always been a bit of a maverick uh, with his party. And the other being, you know, straight talk is his whole, you know, basis of his campaign. And, you know, this would be the very essence of straight talk to, to come to the people and say, yes, you know, now that I'm in this position, I can say with certainty that something's going on. I didn't know myself. I didn't experience it myself. But now that I have access to this information, let me share it with you. It would, it would cement, well, look, whoever is the president, it's going it's to cement their legacy uh, as a major political figure in all of history. There's no question. Certainly in McCain, it would, it would play nicely into his uh, maverick and straight talk persona, which has taken some hits mm-hmm. during the campaign. Uh, so, uh, yeah, th- these are the kinds of upsides that are available. Politically, it's a huge legacy for the party and for the president. 
That doesn't mean that there aren't some problems in, in, in this event and the, and the aftermath. Uh, there is, but uh, it's probably the upside. But uh, the question is, can they do it? Well, they, obviously they're struggling with it. Uh, I think they, they were seriously considering doing it under Bush's second term, the, the Bush senior. Um, he comes in really just before the, you know, just, no, no, just before the Cold War ends. The Cold War ends. And again, that was the principal barrier to going there, to getting this ET issue out. Uh, but they needed time to, to get their act together. And of course, right away, we have a war in Iraq. So it really couldn't happen during that first term. But I think in the second term, I think they were thinking along those lines. Bush would have been ideal in many respects for that. He had heavy ties to the military, to the intelligence community, so they would have been very comfortable with his ability to deal with any post-disclosure issues. But he lost the election, and he lost to a man who was not held in high regard by the military and the intelligence community. And I think they very quickly figured that they did not want him to be the disclosure president. And were prepared to move to block that from happening. He stayed on for eight years, and then he's replaced by Bush, the the um, son. And uh, uh, which, given the tie back to the father, uh, potentially opens the door for disclosure. Though I think the intel and military community had a lot of misgivings about uh, George W. Bush. Nevertheless, nine one one happened right fairly soon. And off we go. So disclosure doesn't happen in his administration, and seven more years go by. In the meantime, the sightings increase, the press coverage increase, other nations are starting to drop records out, witnesses are coming forward, and the, the ludicrousness of the embargo simply grows and grows and grows. So now we're at the next uh, change of, of, of leadership, and uh, I believe the circumstances now are compelling and, and that something's going to happen. Is there no chance that, that the current George Bush uh, wouldn't drop it before he leaves office as a way to add to his legacy? Because looking at his approval ratings and look at you know w- what his legacy is going to be, yeah. uh, it, it might actually behoove him to, to add this to his legacy going forward. I, I, if I were advising him, I could certainly make that case. And it's not impossible. It could happen. Um, it would it would dramatically alter his legacy, which I, I think is probably destined to be extraordinarily poor. Um, and as a lame duck, it could be viewed as a political neutral act, but it would have to happen after the election. If they tried to pull it before the election, it would just it would it would, it would be turned into a, a political stunt fiasco. Sure. It would yeah. be a mess. So is it possible that George Bush might do this after the election or before the end of his term? Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. If that's the way it goes, that's fine with me. And, you know, if, if, if let's assume that he's thinking about it. Let's assume that it's being tossed around. Well, if we can pop a half million letters and faxes and emails into the uh, president-elect's office in the uh, first few weeks of, of November, uh, obviously George Bush would be paying attention as well mm-hmm. and it might might tip the balance there and he might go ahead and do it and that's fine i mean we've got to get disclosure out of the way i don't care who does it yeah right but i mean disclosure now let me be clear disclosure isn't a rumor going around dc disclosure is the formal acknowledgement of the ep presence by the government with the full approval of the president of the united states probably undoubtedly accompanied by 
inside evidence that they have, you know, corroborating their what they're asserting. Though there's plenty of evidence existing in the in the outside government in, in the, from the research of the citizen science movement, but they certainly have other things they could bring out, and that that would that would be it. That would be the the, the paradigm line. Is it enough? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But is it enough if they were to come out and say, "Look, yes." Yes, we have had contact with these extraterrestrial peoples. Uh, we have been working with them, or we have been, you know, acquiring their technology. And for reasons of defense, for reasons of what we're working on, we cannot let you know what we've accumulated. But it has happened. Would that be enough to just have them come out and say on the record, "Yes, they do exist," and "Yes, we do know about it"? Here's what's enough. What's enough is they acknowledge the AT presence. That's enough. That's the disclosure event. That's the paradigm line. Everything after that is the post-disclosure world. And what we learn or don't learn will be a, a result of a fairly intense interaction between the government, the people, and the press. And I can say what the, the amount of information we will get, uh, how detailed it will be, how far they will go. I can't say that they won't try to pop some um, some disinformation in there, mm-hmm. even post-disclosure, to steer us away from certain things. Um, I know this, that the, the people will be quite galvanized and paying very close attention, uh, and the press will be in on fire. So whatever they plan, they better be careful, because uh, it's all going to be looked at extremely carefully. So I'm inclined to think that... Uh, that we will get more information, and it will be relatively accurate. I also expect that some things will be held back, and they may even very well say, look, there's some things we simply can't tell you for national security reasons. And it may be, you know, people may, may say, okay, fine. Right? As long as we're getting information that we is clearly not necessary for national security, you're not classifying everything. It will be a tug of war. It will be an incredibly fascinating time. I, I just can't wait for it. Uh, I'm going to be glued to my television and computer for weeks, if not months. Uh, it will be an historical period that will be analyzed in the minutest detail for for as far as you can see into the future. Uh, but again, it's, it, but, and we can speculate all day on what could or would not happen, but to answer your question, what is enough, what is required, what is the point of all this, is to end the embargo and acknowledge the ET presence, whatever that presence is, that's what we have to have. Once we have that, the rest will play out in good time. Sure. I mean, it'd be nice if they said, "Hey, they exist, and here's how you know, here's how they get around." Let's start installing that in all of our vehicles, so we no longer need to be dependent on oil. Yeah. But well, you know, yeah. we can't expect that to happen. Well, I, well, I, I'm thinking you, you'll find that the, the media will be asking them right away. What about that tech we've been hearing about? But they won't have. Look, I, whatever they. However much latitude they think they're going to have post-disclosure, it ain't going to be as much as they think. Uh, they're going to be under immediate pressure to put information out. Uh, so I'm inclined to think that we'll actually get quite a bit. But the technology issue is so so uh, important to uh, our economic, political, social realities now that they're going to have a, a devil of a time keeping it under wraps, post-disclosure. I just People are just not going to accept it. 
Right, why don't we take a break right now? Uh, when we come back, we can uh, talk some more about the uh, million facts on Washington, and we'll take your calls if you have any questions for Steve. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. You could also email us any questions, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. And uh, when we come back, we can talk some more about what's going on uh, with getting these letters out. But one thing I do want to reiterate, Steve, you mentioned it before, you don't want to send these letters to the White House. You want to send them to these uh, individual Senate offices, whoever wins, or to the transitional office, because if you send it to the White House, it's just going to get lost in the shuffle between the transition of one White House to the other uh, and the fact that the White House simply does not open all the mail that's sent to them. Oh, you turned them down? Oh, okay. Steve, you still there? Yeah, no, don't okay. send it to the White House. This okay. isn't. This is targeting the, the president-elect, and he, he's not going to be in the White House until January the twentieth. Now it's got to go to their senatorial office. And if you try to wins. if you try to wait and say, well, I'll just wait till they get into office, and then it won't have the uh, the impact that it will uh, by doing it now. No, no, no. It's got to go during the transition period. Uh, the news. It's a, it's a very low news time. Uh, the the media is looking for stories. And of course, the the president uh, to be is is not quite as busy as the president once they're in the White House. So, uh, and and then we want to generate some questions. We, we want to get the press excited enough; they're going to start asking the president elect about this. Well, what about these letters that are coming in, uh, uh, Senator Obama, Senator McCain? Are you aware of that? What do you think about that? Things like that. That just heats everything up. So yeah, we have this window of opportunity where where the press will give us attention. The candidate is accessible. Right around the, the the presidential election is accessible, and and it's a slow time of year, so it's like perfect, right? All right. We got more than enough time to put a million in there. Seventy-seven days. I mean, my lord, that's well, a lot of time. Why don't we take a break, and when we come back, you know, people can start writing their letters now, and and we'll give out the addresses where they can send it as well. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and we are talking with Steve Bassett of the Paradigm Research Group. You can check out their website, paradigmresearchgroup.org, and also it's uh, it's Million Facts Washington. What's the exact website for the Million Facts, Steve? Factsonwashington.org. Factsonwashington.org. And uh, Matt Costa has that up right now. And uh, Matt, do you want to give the uh, the addresses for the president-elects? or? Uh, for John McCain, it's the Honorable, Honorable John McCain, President-Elect of the United States, uh, 241 Russell Senate Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20510, fax number 202-228-2862. Uh, the Barack Obama one is the Honorable Barack Obama, President-Elect of the United States, 713 Hart State Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20510. Fax number two zero two 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 eight four eight. I'm sorry, four two six zero. Now, obviously, these this information is available on multiple websites, including Senate.gov and, mm-hmm. and elsewhere. Easy to get it, or in a library, or you can simply call. But obviously, it's going to be right here at the FactsOnWashington.org website, uh, along with when it's available, the address for the transition office. But that probably won't be available until about the third week of November. I think we have a call for you, too, Steve. 
Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? I'm doing good, Tim. How are you doing? Spooktacular. Do you have a question for Steve? Uh, I sure did. Um, I was wondering if you've seen any of the videos on YouTube of the flying humanoids and uh, get his thoughts on those. I've seen some videos on that. I, I have no idea what that's about. Uh, none at all. Um, yeah, they're really, fr whenever I see them, they're, they just give me the eeriest feelings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. I really don't have to say. Uh, Do you think so you could have to ask? A, you'd want, I'm not a researcher per se. You'd want to talk to one of the researchers in that area and probably make make some sort of sensible comment. Uh, I'm interested in the the, the, the videos of uh, Discraft, which we have ample um, uh, numbers. And, of course, those are pretty important, too, the ET issue. All right, well, thank you for your question. All right, thanks, Tim. Have a good night. You, too. I mean, I'd also think too uh, that if this truth embargo, you know, is is that serious, clamped down, that they could probably keep a, a good amount of information that might get out there on YouTube. They can probably get it removed pretty quickly. They could do a lot of things, but I want to tell you, uh, overall, since 1999, um, by and large, I, I do not perceive much energy at all being put into the embargo, meaning that. It's been essentially just coasting on its own momentum wow. since about then. Um, and I think this is because they know it's about over and, and uh, they don't want to invest in that. Plus, obviously, any, any, any efforts to, to maintain the embargo or put out disinformation at the very end here would, could be potentially embarrassing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I can right. just I can just imagine that. Yeah, have George Bush stand up and and talk about how you know eh, this. I I swear I've been here for eight years. This stuff yeah. is not real. And then you know two weeks later you there have, it is. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, there's tons of stuff on. I've got I've got a video archive right now. I need to update. I think I've got about 200 and some video clips uh, links on my site right now. Pretty pretty cool. And you can go see a lot of stuff. Most of it though is exopolitics talking heads. I've got hundreds of more I want to link to. It's just, it's just it's turning up on the net faster than I can generate it. Some of it's phony, some of it's fun, some of it's hoax, but there's still tons of information in video form. Uh, most of the stuff's being pulled, pulled down from YouTube and uh, Google Video are, are over proprietary issues, proprietary rights and what have you. Uh, not for much on uh, what I would call political stuff, though there are other areas uh, other than the, the EP area that are more sensitive and where manipulation may be occurring. Um, and it's hard, I can't really speak to those too much, but because uh, it works. I mean, they, they have the, 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 the truth embargo has been successful for 61 years, so they, they know how to suppress information. They know how to manipulate something. They know how to keep the media from properly engaging. In, uh, and, and I think they may still use those techniques in certain areas. But in the ET area, I believe they have stood down. All right, well, we are just about out of time, uh, but we thank you for joining us and sharing with everybody the Million Facts details. And uh, if people want to start, you know, writing their letters now and, and getting them, just put them in the envelope, right. you know, put the put your return address on them, put the stamp on them, and then all you're waiting for is that final uh, address of where to send it. But mm -hmm. one question I do have, just real quickly, 
Uh, yeah, and the name too. <laughs> Although you know, you could write two versions and just you know, send whichever. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. But uh, just one thing, real quick. How important is it to mention the UFO thing? Do you want to re- mention it right away in the beginning of the letter, or do you kind of want to give them a hey, doesn't congratulations? Matter. Doesn't matter. You know? No, it doesn't matter. Okay. They need to state their intent on that note as quickly as possible. Keep it to the point. Um, and uh, the three key points are at the website. You can go to factsonwashington.org. Uh, if they want to add some more points, fine. But just get those basic points in there. We're trying to end this truth embargo. We want to know the truth about this issue, and that's all we need to do. That's more than enough. It's not the, it's not the length of the letter. It's the number that show up, right? Better a million short letters than 100,000 long ones. Um, well, just to emphasize, you don't want people to be you know, putting this information into – a long letter about all their other concerns for the president-elect. You know, yeah, it's it's right. got to be solely yeah, for this right. purpose. Focus just on this issue. Don't 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 make this about every concern you have about the government. It will lose its power. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to tell people how to write the government. I mean, you, you know, if you've got other concerns, write another letter. I mean, whatever. And, it's, and oh, by the way, I forgot to mention two very important things. One, we are encouraging non-American citizens to write. Everything on that website applies to them. They could send them in because they're affected by this, too. Very helpful. And two, we're encouraging everybody who sends a, a, a letter, fax, or email to notify PRG at our email address, PRG at ParadigmResearchGroup.org, and let us know you've sent it. I need these notifications because I'll use those to ensure, uh, help pressure the media to cover it. Right? The media says, well, how do we know these things are being sent? I'll say, well, i got indication. i got 40,000 you know, notifications here that letters and, and, and uh, faxes have been sent. And you want to see them, and so I need that. So uh, that's part of the deal, and it's up on the website. Um, email PRG and copy us if you send an email, and if it's a fax or a letter, just say, hey, I, I sent my letter off on this. Excellent. And this will help me track how well it's going and also help me persuade the media here that there's a big deal going on down there at that office, and I need to get down there and look at that mail. All right, thanks, Steve. We'll uh, check in with you during the course of the campaign. Keep us up to date. Absolutely. All right, we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. I can smell your fears. I'm not afraid. You will be. Good evening. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, starting off hour number two with my companions here, the science advisor to my left, Matt Moniz, the silent assassin to my right, Matt Costa, who uh, came all the way from Costa's Island. To join us, you know, Matt Moniz lives on his own island, but now Matt Costa has a, an island. What was it? What was the name of that movie? I don't know. I Attack on like Costa's Island. Something like, or something that. like that. I I bought a box of DVDs at a yard sale today, <laughs> and uh, the whole box there's like forty DVDs in this box. The whole box cost me four bucks, and you know you can tell when a movie is a good quality movie when it either has uh, Frank Stallone in the cast, Casper uh, Van Dien. What was that guy's name that was in that movie? Like Luco, Franco, Lucio or something? 
Uh, it was like Francisco Colombo or something. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> you can tell it's a good quality movie when the DVD is in a really, really thin case, <laughs> like those dollar ones you buy off the shelf at the supermarket. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so it's you know it's a movie about Costas Island. So yeah, yeah, you should find good out movie. if there's a. Somebody's seen it, I guess. Oh, yeah, there you go. Somebody calling in to, to talk about that film. Good evening around Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hi, Tim. Hi. Actually, I had a, a question about um, aliens. Sure. Um, have you ever heard of any uh, theories of uh, alien being um, related to shadow people? Yes, I've heard many people talk about that. Matt Moniz, you've probably done some research into that. Yeah. Uh, We've had Heidi Hollis on the show, too, who's uh, of that belief. Yeah, but I think the person that has a bit more experience with that would be Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's recently wrote a book about shadow people, and in within her book she uh, makes mention in a chapter or two about uh, alien association with it. Do you, do you feel that, Matt, yourself? Do you feel that they're connected? Um, I think there may be various forms of shadow people possibly there may be some that are alien and related others may be you know spiritual or elemental as some people think um you know i've seen these things i i haven't been close enough to determine what they actually are yet so uh, yeah i know it something exists i can't say what it is you know alien or otherwise caller have you had an experience with shadow people yourself i have not um I had called a couple of weeks ago, um, um, calling about talking about the Wolf Manor. So I I plan on going in in December oh, and yeah. checking it out for you guys, and hopefully I'll see one there. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing too that you know you have to keep in mind when you're talking about shadow people is if you go to these haunted locations like you're talking about, you know, there's not necessarily a connection between those shadow people and, and extraterrestrials. I would think. You know, mm-hmm. like Waverly Hills has tons of shadow people in it, right? That you, You've been there. It's every, that, every. That's one of the places I was referring to, saying I've seen them, yes. So, but, uh, I mean, it's definitely something to keep in mind because there are those who believe that basically all of this is connected. So I also heard that, uh, I, I, don't, I can't remember if it was on this show or not, that when they saw one, it was kind of like seen static from a TV. On a, the, How the shadow person looked kind of just looked like static. Almost like kind of like a TV, kind of like in a way. almost like it wasn't really solid. Like right, a, right. Like it was a million little pieces all broken up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've only had small encounters with them. I know Matt Costa, you, you think you might have uh, encountered one before. I mean, yeah. your recollections of it. What was it? What was it kind of physically like? Um, it seemed like it was all solid black. Yeah, but. that was the one that I've seen. I've seen like the blacker than the blackness behind it type. And that comes from a guy that. Really doesn't believe in anything. Yeah. Also, I, I, I had a question too. If you've heard, if you see alien, can you like rebuke it, like in the name of God or or Jesus? Uh, um, I heard they're supposed to go away. That if you think that'll help you, I mean, you can use the same argument being attacked by a great white shark. Well, here's, an, here's an opportunity to go a little, we'll break down this fourth wall here and we'll go a little bit behind the scenes of spooky south coast when so we had heidi hollis on uh what almost three years ago now and uh you know we've had her back now how many times since and that pretty much ex- explains our yeah. thoughts on that but when we had heidi hollis on you know she mentioned 
that. She said that, you know, these things are, are creatures of God and therefore they have to respond as such and they have to obey the same, you know, protocols that any of God's creatures do. And she said that if you get attacked by one, you know, use the name of Jesus and you'll be protected. And, and what was your reaction to that? Um, the same reaction I just gave you. Yeah, you can use the same reaction no, for... Wasn't your reaction. Well, my reaction You were was, very angry and you oh, said I was that she was basically <laughs> leading people into a situation a where false they, could, hope. And yes. they could get hurt because of Seriously. the information that was being given. Uh, uh, and the reason why I say that is um, I've been working with, you know, for with abductees for going on two decades. And uh, one very good friend of mine is a reverend, okay, who is regularly abducted. Now, here's a man that really knows how to use the words of God, you know, and uh, he's had absolutely no luck stopping them using the name of Christ, the name of Buddha, or any other deity and, you know, thing he could come up with. They are doing their own thing, just like I said. You're in the water with a great white shark. You can call upon whatever deity or whatever you want to. If it doesn't bite you, it doesn't bite you. But chances are, you know, you're lunch. Now, I'll say this to you too, caller. Um, I like Heidi. I think she's a great person. I'm, I'm uh-huh. interested in her in her research, and I always like to hear different perspectives. But what Matt just said is coming from many years of talking with people that have actually had encounters with these creatures, uh, people who have been abducted. And what Heidi's giving us, at least when she was on this show and the information she was giving us, has been relayed to her through her friend who channels uh, an extraterrestrial. So you can take, you know, whichever side of it that you want. I would tend to go toward the more uh, investigative side that Matt Moniz has. Right, right. I think I do remember hearing it on your show. And um, just, I think she said to guard, um, just think of a white light as a protection and, um, and just uh, um, call out God's name. But you got to have faith. Well, or to work. If it helps the person feel better about the incident, that's fine. But it's not going to stop the incident. Like I said, yeah, I, I I know literally hundreds of different abductees, and they've all said the same thing. They've all cried out the name of God and whatever their faith. And uh-huh. it, these these events still happen regardless. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. And remember, trust no one. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, man. Thanks. Have a great night. You too. All right, and while uh, before we get into the week and weird here, I just want to say hello to uh, Mark who emailed us at spooky crew at spooky Yes, we we can now check emails during the course of the show, at least as long as I keep paying my cell phone bill. <laughs> so uh, I, I got no minutes. <laughs> just kidding. Are you at? Yeah. <laughs> Where <are> you at? <laughs> uh, anyway, we should we should do like fake commercials for Boost Mobile. That would be pretty funny. All right. Well, we just want to remind everybody, coming up on the 20th of October, you can come see the Spooky Crew at the Wareham Historical Society at the old meeting house in Wareham. Uh, We'll have all the information uh, on our website in the coming weeks. But uh, it's going to be at 7.30 p.m. on Monday the 20th. There's a a pie contest beforehand at 7 p.m. So you can can come by a little bit early if you want to check that out. But it's going to be a $2 donation, which uh, all money goes double cross on Cost Design. That's it. All the uh, money goes toward uh, helping the Wareham Historical Society keep their programs going. And uh, one of the things that they're in charge of is the Fearing Tavern, uh, which is a uh, 17th century tavern in our town. You know, literally, Matt Coss and I see it every day. And uh, we have the chance to investigate it. And we'll be revealing what it is that we found and, and 
as each day goes by, I hear more and more from the different investigators that have been there of some really, really good stuff that we found there. Did you hear from Andy? I have not heard from Andy yet, but you did yeah. give me a brief uh, mention of what he might have found. Is he Has he found more stuff going through? Or? Not yet, but uh, he's definitely excited about the stuff he has on video. And I know that Mike Markowitz is, is pouring through his stuff, and we're actually going to get together soon and have a little powwow to talk about what has been found, because I don't want to be surprised when we go into the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to know, you know, who can come and who can share uh, as well, but oh, check that out. I've also collected, um, I'm talking to a number of people that have had personal experiences, and I'm putting all of their experiences on videotape. I'll bring that with me when we go there. So you'll be presenting. You know, keep in mind, too, uh, we... Um, we only have a limited amount of time for this okay. thing, according to the Historical Society. They're giving us 45 this is minutes. From, uh, We're going to blow right through that, man. Those people are going to be there for three hours. Well, this is coming from former workers and volunteers in, you know, over the past 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I just I made that point to, to the director of the Historical Society. I was like, 45 minutes. I said, we're not even going to be able to cover all the evidence we've captured in 45 minutes. And her eyes just lit up, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, it'll be it'll be a good night. It'll be a, a lengthy night. You'll get your $2 worth for sure. And then uh, on the 24th uh, of October, we're going to be at Borders in Wareham, uh, the Borders uh, store there in the Wareham Crossing. And we're going to be giving a presentation there as well. And before that, at 7 o'clock, there's going to be a story time uh, led by none other than Penny Dreadful, the witch herself. She's going to be reading a story to the children, and then the, uh, the grown-ups can stick around for the spooky South Coast presentation. Well, all ages can can attend our presentation, uh, and we'll be uh, giving a talk there as well, and hopefully that's something we can do on a regular basis there as well. So there you go. The 20th. Free coffee, too. Right? Yeah, free well, we're coffee. Coffee Yeah, giving out free samples of their autumn coffee. So uh, there'll be more information coming up on the Borders website about that. We'll link up to it on SpookySouthCoast.com when it becomes available. Plug, plug, plug. That's pretty much uh, If you'd like to hire us to, to come out and give a presentation, you know, um, Give us an email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. And uh, we've we've got a pretty wide open calendar, right? No, not at all. But we'll squeeze you in. All right. Well, why don't we uh, get right to the Week and Weird, because we're running out of time here, so. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> the Week in Weird. I don't know who that guy was, but he had a cool voice. All right, English singer Robbie Williams, who's fascinated with extraterrestrial world, is expected to star in a TV show about UFOs. The UFO Data Magazine is apparently in talks with the 34-year-old singer to star in their new satellite TV show, due to be aired next year. He has really helped people feel like they can talk about UFOs again, and that is really important, the Daily Star quoted spokesman Philip Mantle is saying. The rocker, who, and I've listened to Robbie Williams' music, so rocker is uh, being used loosely, who claims to have seen aliens twice, has penned alien anthems at a UFO camp in Washington. Extraterrestrial expert Michael, they listed as Michael Kluckman, but it's actually Michael C. Luckman, deems the rock DJ hitmaker is working on an aliens-inspired album which could be used to help call upon little green men to Earth. Williams visited the Trout Lake camp with all of the equipment to capture any extraterrestrial happenings, and the pop star is now working on compiling all of that data. So 
There you go, Robbie Williams uh, again popping up in the UFO news. So we're gonna. We're just gonna have and to get the Robbie author Williams of on. that was who? Michael C. Michael Kluckman, or uh, is it Michael C. Luckman, the, the author who wrote the book about John? No, Lennon I meant the, the author of the article. Oh, the uh, oh, I just it was on like thirty different news feeds. Okay. Quite trying to keep me from getting sued. No, usually we try and give credit to. Yeah, there's no credit on this right. one. It's it's. <laughs> Sorry. It's pretty much a rumor. It's up in the air. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a rumor. <laughs> Sometimes you can report rumors. Macasa, yeah. I heard a rumor that you have a story for us. I do. Also, let me let me tell you six and a half stars for Double Cross. Out of what thirty seven? Um, six six and a half stars. Six and a half. That's because Frank Frank Stallone did it. Anytime the user comments, the first user comment listed on an IMD <laughs> entry is Walmart special for a dollar. <laughs> I want people to buy this movie and send it to the White House. <laughs> I want a million copies. I, you know what? <laughs> I want them to send it to us. Send it to uh, what's oh, what's no. the Spooky South Coast PO Box address, uh, Macosta? PO Box three two seven one Wareham, Mass o two five seven one. Yeah, send us a million copies of Double Cross on Costas Island. Send them in a <laughs> self-addressed stamped envelope, and Costa will sign them for you. And uh, we might even be able to find Frank Stallone yeah. and get him to sign it as well. Yeah. And then uh, we'll send it back to you. We'll send it back with a bumper sticker. A bumper sticker and uh, and an autographed copy of Double Cross on Costa's Island. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, I don't know where to go from there. How about, a, how about a story? How about that? Sure. Okay. The parents of a seven-year-old boy who broke into an Australian outback zoo and fed a small, f- fed a string of small animals to its resident crocodile are likely to be sued after police said the boy was too young to be held responsible. A turtle, four western blue-tongued lizards, two bearded dragons, two thorny devil lizards, and a 5.9-foot adult female Spencer Goana were fed to fed or led into the jaws of a 3-meter-long, 440-pound saltwater crocodile named Terry. Security camera footage at the Alice Springs Reptile Center showed the smiling youngster also bludgeoning to death a small blue-tongued lizard and two more thorny devils during a half-hour breakfast-time havoc last Wednesday. The fact a 7-year-old can wreak so much havoc in a, in a short time is unbelievable. In my day, he'd get a big boot up the arse. Center Director Rex Reindorf told routers by phone. Neindorf said many many of the animals fed to the croc were rare and mature and would be difficult to replace. The boy was unknown at the center and had clammed up when questioned by police on what sparked the rampage. Neindorf said he is now looking to sue the parents of the pine-sized terror who could easily have been taken by Terry, by Terry himself who, as he fed from the from the small landing at his enclosure. And that story's from Routers. See, you didn't see the double cross coming? I mean, it's your own island. (laughs) (laughs) It's your island, and you you just couldn't see that double cross coming. I can't be everywhere. Okay, first of all, first point I want to make here is I was unaware that Franco Columbo was a double threat, both uh, star and director of (laughs) double cross on Costa's Island. So that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. That's, uh, Uh, That's quality. The other thing, too, is the, st- the story that you just read and what limited attention I was paying to it. You know who I blame for that? Who? Bindi the Jungle Girl. I was going to blame Frank Stallone. Oh, yep. You guessed it. Frank Stallone. Will Smith is in that movie, too. I don't think it's that Will Smith. 
I don't think it's the same wolf. I don't think a year after he uh, blew up huge with Independence <laughs> Day, he was making double cross on Costa's Island. Um, uh, but anyway, Big Willie's got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> but I do, I do, I do blame Bindi the Jungle Girl for that story because you know she's letting people think it's okay for little kids to go up to wild animals. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to get all these Steve Irwin fans like protesting. I don't care if she's horrible. <laughs> it really is a bad idea. <laughs> It's a that's bad fine. idea. Hey, that's fine. Well, I don't really like it when my when my son like gets too close to the cat when the cat's hissing at him, you know. So I, I don't imagine I'd want him going near crocodiles. All right, you know what? Let's try and take this back to a, a somewhat informative nature for a second. Uh, this weekend marks the anniversary of the Shag Harbor UFO or USO incident, and uh, Peter Duffy in the Chronicle Herald in Canada wrote a column. Uh, about this incident and some news that he found relating to this mystery. And so I'm going to read this column, but it's, it's coming from the perspective of one Peter Duffy. This weekend it'll be the anniversary of the Shag Harbor quote-unquote incident. Brace yourself for another round of stories about the mystery that's tantalized everyone for decades. If you remember, it was the night of October 4th, 1967, tonight, when people in the tiny South Shore community, and that's the South Shore of, what, Nova Scotia? Yeah. Yeah. Not, not this South Shore. Witnessed a lighted object apparently falling into the water, not far from shore. The only thing that was ever found, however, was a long slick of yellow foam. It wasn't much, but added to what everyone said they'd seen and heard. It was enough to have the thing officially recorded as an unidentified flying object. So what the heck was it? An alien craft? A sea monster? A top-secret government experiment aircraft? Ruth Neville's 85 used to be married to Lawson Dolman, a man who... Wow. If I thought that this guy made up stories, I would think that that was Lauren Coleman, only who messed around. No offense, Peter Duffy. Just weird. A man who made his living from the sea. Ruth's late husband was East Coast Operations Manager for John Leckie Incorporated, once a major player in the fisheries. The year before Shag Harbor, Ruth was leafing through one of her husband's trade magazines when she came across a story about a new device developed by a Scandinavian company for commercial fisheries. It looked like the upper half of a large, shiny globe fitted with sealed beam lights inside. The idea was for fishing herring, she said. The mother ship, and that'd be the mother fishing ship, would have this equipment aboard and it would be lifted off the deck, swung out over a school of fish and lowered into the water so the light actually went under the water. When Ruth pointed it out to her husband, he frowned. He said, it's illegal to catch fish with a light. It would be like jacking deer. The year after the Shag Harbor incident, the pair made their annual visit to the fisheries exhibition in Lunenburg. Wandering around, Ruth came across a booth with the very same Scandinavian fishing aid she'd read about in the magazine. By the time she'd returned with her husband in tow, the chrome-plated device had vanished. My husband asked, but no one knew anything, she related. But it was there. I saw it. Ruth is convinced that the owner had discovered the thing was illegal and spirited it away. How else to explain its disappearance? On reflection, she and her husband wondered whether some fishermen had actually invested in one of the big lighted lures and had been testing it out on that dramatic October night in the waters off Shag Harbor. The pair theorized that the residual yellow foam could have been from the friction of the catch because some fish shed oily bits of themselves, especially scales, when they're being jostled violently together. The only people who know the real facts would be the crew of that boat, she said. Impressed with Ruth's theory, the writer Peter Duffy began calling around to people in the industry asking about fishing with lights. This week, a contact with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans was able to confirm that, yes, during the period in question, it was indeed illegal. So there you have it, one woman's explanation 
for the so far unexplainable. Matt Moniz, I know you've researched the Shag Harbor incident. I know that you've discussed it at length with Chris Stiles, the main researcher who is still working on that case. Yep. I know that you have plans at some point to, to actually go actually diving, diving there. In it. Yeah. What do you think about this story? Uh, obviously, the woman doesn't know the story of the whole incident because the original incident started with people well inland and off the shore looking at something in the air long before they could see the sea. So this thing traveled from overland into the ocean. So unless this shipping uh, or fishing vessel somehow was able to levitate over land, I think this lady is reaching. I, I actually I don't think necessarily that she's reaching. I think it's more the writers yeah. kind of reaching. Yeah. I think it's kind of a, hey, this might be the explanation, you know, and I'm pretty sure that... Because uh, if you follow the story, it starts with everybody following the thing overland into the ocean. The the ocean is where the incident ended, not where it started. And Chris has a book out. Yes. And uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, Dark Object. All right, there you go. So read the book and you can get the entire story. Um you know, besides just the, the fish and white story. And, you know, but it's interesting because, you know, the, there's been a number of stories that have been coming up about UFO sightings that have been uh, you know, debunked by these party lights that have been released oh, into the air. Oh, these Japanese lanterns. And, and there was another incident that happened this week in the U.K. where, you know, somebody's birthday party sparked a, a giant bunch of uh, UFO sightings. So, <sighs> all right, well, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk with Elizabeth Russell of the Bay State Paranormal Center. And we'll talk about the Mass Monster Mash and the Mass UFO Show, which are coming up as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz and the silent assassin Enrico Costa. (sighs) Well, one thing I'm going to tell you about, besides Double Cross on Costa's Island, which uh, is my new favorite movie. Coming up uh, the weekend of October 17th and 18th, John Horgan is ready to take over your world with uh, two great nights of paranormal discussion coming up. Uh, the first night we have the... Hold on, let me find it. So well prepared tonight. I had to print my notes out in WordPad, Notepad. So like I have no idea where anything is. So that's that's that story. That's that story. That's that story. This is this is great radio. As I look through everything. Okay. Uh, here we go. John Horgan. He is pleased to announce an exciting program for the third annual rendition of New England's only UFO conference to be held at 7 p.m. on Friday, October 17th. At the Hibernian Hall in Watertown, Massachusetts, three speakers will take the stage at the third annual Mass UFO Show at the Hibernian Hall. The keynote speaker is Bud Hopkins, whose lecture will be entitled The UFO Abduction Scenario, What We Know Today. 
another speaker will be Leslie Kane, an investigative reporter who has been published widely in national and international mainstream media. She will give a lecture uh, about UFOs and the struggle for government openness, similar to what we were speaking with earlier. And, of course, uh, she works uh, closely with Steve Bassett as well. Another prolific author, UFO expert and government agitator Nick Redfern will be part of the Mass UFO Show. His uh, discussion will be entitled Men in Black. He'll reveal his first-hand encounters with the saucer spies and also look at how Men in Black have fit into popular Western culture via two major motion pictures in 1997 and 2002. And uh, there'll also be a brief discussion about an imposter who posed as a UFO investigator and was encountered by the Massachusetts, Massachusetts chapter of the Mutual UFO Network several years ago. Uh, Matt Moniz, of course, will be there to help co-host the night, and he'll engage Nick Redfern in a brief but lively debate about what really happened at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Nick has a radically different view of the event that is in opposition to the traditional UFO legend. And finally, uh, there'll be typical ambient UFO-related music and motion picture themes that waft into the background, and a recording of Orson Welles' controversial radio program, The War of the Worlds, will be played at 6 p.m. when the door is open to the hall. It'll be a 70th anniversary tribute to that radio broadcast. Also in attendance will be Lauren Coleman, uh, Tim Banal of Banal of America. So uh, that will be on Friday night. Then on Saturday night, uh, tickets to that, by the way, $25. On Saturday night, also for a $25 ticket, will be the Mass Monster Mash. The docket for this year's Monster Mash includes esteemed author and webmaster of Cryptomundo.com, cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman. He'll be talking about the Mothman, the wicked creature that invaded Point Pleasant, Virginia in 1966. Prolific ghost ghost researcher and webmaster of GhostVillage.com and author Jeff Belanger will be talking about Weird Massachusetts. Dan Gordon, the co-author of Haunted Baseball, will talk about uh, the ghosts encountered by major league players. Nick Redfern will be there again to talk about Man Monkey in Search of the British Bigfoot and the Art of Monster Hunting. Matt Moniz will be there to discuss the Phantom Hitchhiker of Route 44, uh, as well as some of the other Phantom Hitchhiker phenomena. And paranormal researcher Chris Pittman will be talking about the CD Mysterious Bridgewater Triangle. And, of course, John Horrigan is your master of ceremonies for both nights. And, and he puts together a couple of great events, $25 for each ticket, the Mass UFO Show, the Mass Monster Mash, Friday night and Saturday night, October 17th and the 18th, Hibernian Hall, 151 Water Street, Watertown, Mass. Telephone number 339-368-1971. Website massmonstermash.org, massufoshow.org. We'll also get you there as well. Definitely uh, call John and reserve your tickets today because they will be going fast. It's going to be huge two nights. And speaking of huge nights coming up, our guest on the phone is going to have a lot of huge nights coming forward where she's not going to be getting any sleep because of her new uh, venture that she has going on. Joining us now is the is Elizabeth Russell of the forthcoming Bay State Paranormal Center. How are you tonight, Elizabeth? I'm great. How are the lords of the spooky South Woods doing tonight? Uh, we're spooktacular, as we always say here. <laughs> now, uh, well, I'm glad to hear it. We just want to we just want to clarify that you're actually at an investigation. So if we hear little weird sounds in the background, it's just EVPs coming over the phone. Yep, that's what it is. It could be anyway. All right, you never and, know. <laughs> and um, uh, why don't you tell everybody about the uh, Bay State Paranormal Center and what you what you envision this new venture as being? Well, you know, I hope it ends up being this really great community place for the paranormal community where people can come together and learn and share and grow and you know 
hopefully accomplish something with all of our uh, evidence that we seem to catch. Um, I have a huge list of classes that are already scheduled um, up through March, and there's still more things coming in. I'm kind of surprised at it myself. Um, I, and, you know, you'll be able to buy investigation equipment without having to send away for it, um, you know, learn how to do protection um, ceremonies while you're out at an investigation, if that's what you're into, you know. You can learn to become a better medium, learn to become a better investigator. It's anything that's paranormal at all, from UFOs to cryptozoology to vampirism, whatever. If you can envision it, we're going to try and have it. It, it. There's places that have incorporated this into what they already do, uh, but this is really going to be the first one that I know of in this area that has focused that has existed solely for this purpose. I mean, it's not like you're walking into, uh, you know, a business that's something else six days a week, and on the seventh day they have paranormal events. And this is a place that's going to be solely dedicated to the community. It's solely dedicated to the community. We'll have um, peer review days on Saturday afternoons once a month where anyone can come in and bring their, in, your, their evidence and have others um, look it over. You can get feedback on it. If you just want to go and see evidence, you know, it's a, it's a great thing to do for that afternoon. And it's only five bucks. Where else can you go for five bucks for a couple of hours anymore, you know? Wow. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to when I'll have paranormal movies on, you know, one Friday night a month. And, you know, yeah, sure, it's Poltergeist who's all seen it before, but, you know, it's different when you see it with a group of paranormal investigators or people that are really into it. Um, but just something fun and different to do. Um, you know, speaking of great things that are coming up, we have Chris Balzano coming next Saturday. Mm. Um, the center isn't open yet, but this is going to be our first pre-opening and probably our only pre-opening event. And anyone that knows Chris Balzano, you know that he's the king of the Bridgewater Triangle. Um, or at least I think so. Um, and so he's coming and he's going to do a talk for us for a couple of hours at noon, and then we're going to go on a tour of Freetown State Forest and look at some of the hot spots um, that he's investigated for his book, Dark Woods. Now, do me a favor. Don't actually um, don't get Chris lost in the woods, as well as he knows those woods. Yeah. Don't let him get lost out there because he's got a, a book signing at Baker Books here in on the south <laughs> coast at 7 o'clock, and then at 10 o'clock we're expecting him to be here in the studio with us. So. I'll try not to, but it's going to get, you know, it's going to be hard because I remember the last time I saw him speak, we wanted to drag him out to the forest right then and there and say, show us all these great places. So it's going to be really hard. So um, if he doesn't show up, you'll know where he is. I've got him. Just keep him away from the mad trucker and the uh, don't <laughs> don't go down to the phantom hitchhiker's neck of the Route 44 either. You know, just keep him away from those guys. Yeah, I but, think we're going to miss that. Um, and speaking of 44, um, the center itself is going to be located on 138 in Cotton, just off of Route 44. So, you know, you can always make a day of it, too, on some Saturday night when you're with us and then go down and try to pick up the red-headed hitchhiker. Well, and, you know, if you catch him, bring him, bring him by the store, right? Yeah, actually, maybe he'll stop in. <laughs> and you know what? I just placed an order today for Dr. Hackalock's consumption cream. So I'll have a huge inventory of that if you guys need to come and get some. I, I do. I, I'm coming down with a bad case of it, I think. 
of now, consumption. <laughs> the uh, the afternoon of ghost stories with Chris Balzano. That's from twelve to one thirty. It's uh, twenty five dollars, but uh, they still have a couple of days where they can prepay for ten dollars, right? Yep. So by October sixth, um, if then, I I've got your paid registration, it's only ten bucks. And then and it's uh, even it, at twenty five dollars, it's a bargain. It's forty dollars for the uh, Freetown State Forest tour, but if you prepay by the sixth, it's twenty five dollars, and you're doing a, a package deal with the two of them, right? Yep. And if you prepay by October sixth, you can get the tour for thirty dollars and the talk as well. There you go. And and thirty uh, bucks. That's a, that's pretty good. And I know that you've got a lot of uh, other things uh, on tap for the center as well. One thing that we're working with you uh, on coming up is on November 14th, the USS Salem investigation. Right. And that is going to be a really great investigation. It goes from 6 p.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning. You can bring your sleeping bag if you want and sleep in the cots that the sailors slept in. The USS Salem was basically a goodwill ship. It was launched just after the end of World War II, so it never did see action. But it did service um, a lot of third world countries where, you know, they have a, an operating room suite, and one of the rooms was dedicated just to give uh, for um, obstetrics. So a lot of babies were born on that ship. Um, there's 1,600 sailors that could serve on that ship at a time. So there are a lot of hot spots within the ship itself. I'm still waiting to get all the ghost stories from Mike Condon, the, the man that oversees the ship, but um, I will be posting that on my MySpace, um, which is Mugshot Lizzie, by the way. Um, and it's going to be a great night. Um, I know our so, friends at Mass Paranormal have investigated it pretty regularly, and they've come back with a, a lot of experiences and a lot of evidence. Right. right. Um, they've had... I know that there's the the legend of the tour guide that took a group of tourists on a tour of the ship and then went back to tip him and only to find out that there was no one working that day. So I believe they have seen him, um, along with a woman that they've seen in the galley area. So, you know, there's still some activity going on. People have been touched, um, and people have definitely heard things, have gotten a lot of great EVPs. So, you know, you've got all night long to try to find something, and pretty much the whole ship is open. There's only a few spaces that are off limits, but you can roam through this entire ship. One of those and, places will be where I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, you just got to be quiet, tiptoe around Tim, everybody, but it's going to be a really uh, great night. I- I'm not a very quiet sleeper, so. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, tickets for that are $85? $85 even the night of the investigation. So the USS Salem is located in, in Quincy, right at the Four River Bridge. So it's, I believe it's Route 3A. It's and real easy to find once you get on 3A. It follows kind of the same theory, the same idea uh, that I think things like the Queen Mary do, where it's, you know, it's out there floating in the water, so it's constantly charged. It's right. constantly charging up this activity, and you know, even if it's nothing but the residual uh, energy of all the people that have been there over the over the many years that it's been in existence, you know, it's still it's got all these factors to make sure that it's at you know a hundred percent battery power. Yeah, I mean, even if you go on the molecular level, you've got hydrogen bonding going on through all those water molecules. So there's a lot of energy that spirits can drive from. Plus, there's a lot of wet. You know, it's not like it's humid or damp, but there's a lot of water in that ship as well, just from being, you know, being afloat all that time. 
So, you know, there's a lot of energy for spirits to, you know, to draw from. And it, it's really, you definitely feel something. I know I definitely felt something in the oper- operating room suite. So that, it's a really a great place to investigate. And even if you got nothing, it's a cool ship to just go on because you can still go into the gun turrets. Those are open. Um, you can go into the, I always get, what is it called, the bridge? Um, you know, where they drive the ship from. <laughs> I hate to yeah. sound like a dumb girl, but, you know, you can go into all these little nooks and crannies. There's this, um, there's this like, uh, what do you call it, a room, some officer's room that's right off the deck, and he's got his office and he's got his bed and his shower. Like, there's just really cool places all over the ship that you can, you know, go and investigate and get away from people. So that's the great thing about it. Now, and there's uh, still tickets left for it. When when we do bring people out onto that ship, and and uh, how how deep is the water right off the ship? I mean, it's got to be somewhat deep to accommodate having that ship there. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell you how deep the water is, but yeah, I mean, this ship is this is a huge warship, you know, and it needs you know a certain level of water for it to sit in. Well, I just want to make sure that if I push either of the mats overboard, they won't crack their head on any rocks or anything. No, they're goners. Okay. <laughs> yes, they're goners. They're done. All right, just because you never know. You know, yeah. all it takes is one escalating shoving match, and yeah. somebody yeah, exactly. goes overboard. I'm lower to the ground. I've got a lower center of gravity, so it's going to be harder <laughs> to get me over. Just wear your boat shoes that night. <laughs> uh, now, I'm going to wear the biggest, heaviest boots that I can find because I know it'll just echo through the entire ship whenever I take a step. Yeah, exactly. And that reminds me of something. You want to be sure that you can climb steep stairways. Um you know, if you have, if you're someone that has ambulatory problems, this is not the gig for you because, you know, to get from one deck to the no- to another, the staircases are pretty steep, so you have to be able to handle that. Or just stay on one deck and miss or out on, on you know most of yep. the ship. But. There's a lot of deck level stuff that you could do as well. Now, once you have the the center fully up and operational, um, what are your planned hours of operation? You know, well, I, I know you want to bring in some psychics and, and have psychics in there for available for readings. Yeah. Um, they The psychics that I'll have available for readings will just be by appointment only um, and will only be there a couple of days a week probably to start. But, you know, the center will be open from 5 to 10 Wednesday um, through Friday and then t- uh, probably 10 to 10 on Saturdays and Sundays. And um, I've already, like I said, I've got a lot planned. Um, you know, our first weekend that we're open, um, we have Mike Markowitz, who is the god of EVPs. He really, he is the man when it comes to it. He's doing an evening of ghost stories with us where he's going to play his best EVPs. And he's got over 2,000, and a lot of them are, like, grade, grade A levels. Um, the next day, we have... Um, we have Gavin Cromwell of the Travel Channel's Most Haunted. He's going to be doing private readings the next day with us, and um, then he's going to do a gallery reading that night. Um, he's, it's his only area appearance, and he's coming all the way from England to do this. And during the day on November 2nd, we also have Beth O'Connor who's going to do past life regressions with groups, and she's really good. If you wonder, if you were uh, Caesar back in the days of old Rome, she'll help you find out that you probably weren't, but you were probably somebody else. Yeah, because, so, you know, of course, um, everybody thinks that they were Caesar or Cleopatra. Yeah. Or... yeah, I myself was Cleopatra, so, you know, I'll be able to tell right away if you were Caesar or not. I, I was Cleopatra, too. I was Cleopatra Jones. 
Oh, really? Yes, we're all we're all reincarnated black exploitation action film stars here at Spooky South Coast. Matt Moniz is Dolomite, <laughs> and uh, Matt Costa is the one and only Superfly. Superfly. <laughs> Shut well, your mouth. He's not Spanish fly, jeez. Oh. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we have a, a ton of good things. Chris Pittman's also going to be with us too, um, and Dave Manch. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, I know you guys are working on getting. Um, Tiffany Johnson and Chip Coffee for us. Yep. Um, John Zappis is going to be with us in the spring. I mean, it's it's going to be a place where anybody who's anybody in the paranormal world is going to be at some time or another. This is going to be the place. And it's also only a couple of miles away from a great, great Chinese buffet. So I think <laughs> there's going to be a lot of incidents where, you know, uh, after the events happen at the center, you know, you're going to see a big spillover of attendees into this buffet and you know, you, you could be going out and getting some Chinese food standing next to John's office. You know? Yeah. Actually, hey, John, you want a little more dim sum? You know, yeah, exactly. Knowing <laughs> well, yeah, the people in the paranormal. going to be a really great place to go. If we've learned anything from our friends in the paranormal, Chinese food follows every... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did I just hear Matt Moniz? Yes, you did. I was wondering if you were there. I am. How are you doing? I am here, my dear. And yourself, you're doing well, I see. Good. Um, yeah, good. Everything's good. I just can't wait to open the center and welcome everybody in and, um, you know, really get something awesome going there. Now, I know we, we've been talking for a few months about this, and I know you've been really excited about it, but, you know, if it, if, if it hasn't sunk in yet, have you realized just how much of a, a commitment that you're making on a, on a personal level to making it succeed? Because I want everybody that, that's listening to realize how much you're investing of yourself to make sure that this gets off the ground. I can't even stop to think about it. And, um, you know, during some downtime in the investigation tonight at White's Mansion in Taunton, um, I was just talking about how a year ago, it was almost exactly a year ago, I was just talking about, and it was the first time it even crossed my mind, I was talking about possibly trying to book um, Jason and Grant at the store that I barely worked part-time at. And it was just amusing you know, it wasn't like, hey, yeah, you know, go out and do this. It was just like, oh, that would be a great idea. I didn't even know they had released a book until I Googled them. And here I am a year later, and I'm about to open a paranormal center. And, you know, I work full-time as a teacher, and I love my job. But the paranormal, there's just always been something there for me. Um, you know, I was terrified of the paranormal until I saw Ghost Hunters, and it brought it to a scientific level for me. And I was like, geez, if I can look at it scientifically, then what can I be scared of, you know? And I just, you know, I can't believe that the, that I'm doing this. It's amazing to me. And it's like a dream come true that I didn't know I had. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I get home from work. I spend probably three or four, maybe five hours contacting people, trying to get them to come and teach courses, and I've been so lucky that these wonderful people, you know, have consented to come and teach courses, you know, at the center. Um, I know you guys are coming in. A Matt Moniz, the Matt Moniz <laughs> of Spooky South Coast, a prince of Massachusetts, is going to be teaching a whole series of alien and UFO classes. How much luckier can I or even the paranormal community get? I mean, he's going to be doing all of that. It's just going to be so awesome. 
I can't wait, Matt, and I get to see every single one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not like the part. last time he taught a class for you and you, you didn't show up. I forget where I was. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably trying to plan this and getting this all together, so yeah, you didn't really I have mean, time. You know, it's just, you know, to anyone out there that just thinks that they can't do something, just decide that you're going to do it and make it happen. I mean, you know, there's definitely been a couple of roadblocks, you know, trying to get this thing together, but I just believe that every day that this is going to happen. And I'll tell you, I don't know where the money's coming from, but it seems to be coming from somewhere, and the center is going to be opening. You know, it's just crazy. And it's a beautiful center. You know, it's not super huge, but it's big enough for a classroom, and I have a private reading area. And it's right on a main street, you know? When do you it, plan it, to have the doors open? I'm sorry? When do you plan on having the doors November open? November 1st, 10 a.m. All Souls Day, so we'll pray for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we thank you for joining us and, and sharing the information with everybody. And, again, uh, Chris Balzano, Saturday for two different events. Uh, and if they want to get in touch with you, is there a phone number already for the store? Is there a number sure. you're giving out? yeah, you can call me at 508 508- Nine zero four zero six eight one, or you can email me at a c h e m g i r l. It's a chem girl because I am in chemistry at aol dot com, or you can go to MySpace and look for Mugshot Lizzie. You know, like the mugshot as if I got arrested. So Mugshot Lizzie with an i e on the end. There you go. And, of course, you, you're going to need, you know, BayStateParanormalCenter.com, but it's probably yeah. already owned by John Horrigan. So. Actually, it's not. There you go. Although, now that we've mentioned it, yeah, someone's probably going to buy it. Somebody's jumping on there, and they're going to charge you extra money for it. But yeah. Not if they're listening to the show, because if they're listening to the show, they believe in the community, they believe in what you're doing, and I know they're going to go down there and support you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, please come down. I'd love to meet everyone. And... You know, even if you just want to get the newsletter, which is, you know, keeps you abreast of everything that's happening, just send me an email at a chem girl and I'll put you right on there. Perfect. All right. All right. Well, we Thanks wish so you so much for having me. We wish you all the luck in the world with the center. We'll be down there to harass you, of course. Absolutely. Uh, frequently and often and, and drink your soda and eat your snacks. Why don't you come down on November 1st and sign autographs? All of you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. come on. You don't even need to bring a pen for that. Uh, <laughs> All right. All right. That's Thanks right. So we much. sign them in blood. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll bring my knife. All, All right. right. <laughs> Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. That is Elizabeth Russell. I guess we'll call her the director and proprietor of the Bay State Paranormal Center. And we'll have more news about that coming up in the current weeks as they get closer to the grand opening. All right. That does it for this week's show. Next week, uh, we're going to be slaves to the MLB grind. We'll find out when we're on uh, sometime this week, and when we find out, we'll let you know, SpookySouthCoast.com. But we will be here in some capacity on Saturday night. Just stay tuned. If uh, we're not on before the baseball game, we'll be on after the baseball game. And uh, we'll be talking with Chris Balzano, who will be here in studio uh, for the first time. People don't realize, you know, this guy does not live around here anymore, so this is big-time stuff. Uh, If you have a book, you want him to sign it, you can uh, meet him at Baker Books at 7 o'clock. Uh, And then uh, if there's any overflow, you know, we can accommodate things here, I'm sure. So for Matt Moniz, for Enrico Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. You've heard the prediction. just heard was not fiction, although... In many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. 
It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I've got another supernaturalist.